0: Tonight we're going to be discussing, as I've mentioned in this service so far, mission. Uh, It's something that we're familiar with because we all have missions in life, right? Uh, We want to achieve a certain position in our work. Maybe we want to live in a certain type of condo or in a certain neighborhood. We want to drive a certain type of car. Uh, We maybe want to find uh, and enjoy a certain type of relationship. Or we want a relationship that we have to improve and become healthy. Uh, maybe we want to finally wipe out our Netflix queue, uh, that just keeps building from 50 to 80 to 100 things we're never going to watch. All documentaries, if you're like me, we want to uh, maybe win our fantasy football league. I know that's a that's a mission of mine, uh, or not order salty donuts on Uber Eats every weekend because it's not good for you. That was really bad. When they put it on Uber Eats, it was like game over. Because I'm not going to go wait in the line, but if someone's going to drive it to my house, I mean, come on. We all have missions in life and some of them are big and some of them are important, some of them take a lot of our time and a lot of talent and a lot of treasure and a lot of investment and some of them are simple, right? Some of them are superficial missions. But nothing is more frustrating or daunting than being presented with a mission that seems unrealistic. It seems like we have no way to engage in it. it seems to us like even if we tried, how would we actually make any significant difference? And so what happens when we're presented with missions like that is we typically just refrain from engaging at all, right? This is one of the frustrations that happens when we're faced with large-scale oppression or injustice or suffering. You see something happen, and you say, I don't even know how I could make a difference. How would I even engage in something like that? And so it makes us feel helpless. It makes us feel frustrated. And so we never actually take a step towards engaging, and we remain... Sideline from it because it seems unrealistic for us. I think one of the most important things organizations or causes or companies can do is they can explain to you how you as an individual can engage in this mission that may seem unrealistic and how you can actually make a difference. A few examples. So, some of you, after Hurricane Matthew came and hit Haiti, you're probably wondering, how in the world can I make a difference? I've read these articles. I know there's some organizations that I probably shouldn't trust with my money. So how do I really help and love and care for people and make a difference? And so we presented you with an opportunity through Mission of Hope, and our team went to Haiti two weeks ago. We were able to see the money that many of you had donated going to putting water bottles on barges and and all these food and mana packs and medical supplies being shipped to these people. And so when you know, okay, I can give— and it's actually going to make a difference. Here's what it's actually going to do. You'll engage in it. You remember years ago when the whole uh, Joseph Coney phenomenon, Invisible Children went on, right? They made it very clear. If you buy a bracelet, you're going to help support this. If you take stickers and put them all over the city, you can actually enact policy change. And they did. We can talk about what you, you know, you have many different thoughts on the organization. But the, the issue is that they took a whole bunch of people all over the country, They engaged them in small ways, and they actually made a difference. And so people all over the place engaged in this mission, in this cause. Many of you now are training for a half marathon or a full marathon. That one is insane. Half marathon is doable. Many of you are doing the full marathon, which I don't understand. Uh, But you're doing it. Why? Because coming up in in January or February is the the Miami half and full marathon. And you know that if you're going to run with Team World Vision, you can actually make a difference in bringing clean water to Africa. And so some of you are running, and you've never done this before. There are two people in our church that have never run a half or a full marathon, and they decided to go for the full. What? But they want to make a difference, and they know that they can actually make a difference by engaging it, and so they engage. And I think one of the problems, if we're honest, is that the church oftentimes has not clearly laid out what the mission of God is, What the mission of the church is and how you can engage in it. And so what happens? You're left feeling frustrated. You're left kind of really not knowing what the mission of the church and what the mission of God is. And so you refrain from engaging. You attend. You treat it like a house, right? You come a little bit. You come here and there. Instead of it really being a home because you don't really understand what it would look like to make a difference. How can one person make a difference? How could one person engage in this mission of God that seems so large and so broad and too big to actually be a part of? So here is what I I hope tonight brings as we journey through Ephesians 3. Two things. One, that you understand clearly what God's mission is, and then secondly, you understand what is your place in it. What does it look like to engage in God's mission? And so uh, as we walk through this tonight, my prayer for all of us is that we would walk out encouraged, excited uh, to engage in God's mission, uh, and spoiler, it's, his mission is through the church. And so jump in with me at the very first verse. Here's what it says. For this reason, I, Paul, he's the writer of Ephesians, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. At the time of this letter, Paul is in prison. And he's writing this letter to uh, the church in Ephesus, large church, uh, similar culture in many ways to ours, and he's writing to them. And the first line of this chapter is, I, Paul, a prisoner, he is in prison, not of Rome, not of the guard outside of his gate, not of the court system, but I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. From the very get-go, he lets them know that his present circumstances will not define his identity right? Yes, I'm in prison. I'm in prison by Rome. I mean, this guard is not going to let me out. The court system is not going to let me out, but I'm not a prisoner to that. From the very beginning, he wants them to know that his identity is not shaped by his present circumstances. His identity is in Christ, regardless of his present circumstances. I think it's important um, for us to take a second and think about that, because he is strategic in the way that he writes, See, we become imprisoned to all sorts of things, right? Career, aspirations, success, our bank account experiences we want to have, relationships we want to gain or create or make healthy again. We become imprisoned to all sorts of things that are our mission we want, that we want to achieve in life. And Paul, right out of the gate, says, listen, regardless of your present circumstances, regardless of all of those other sub-identities that you have, if you believe and trust in Christ and you are a prisoner to him, He is your only master. You are only bound to him. His will supersedes all other things. It's important to realize that because he's saying, he's about to talk about mission, and he wants us to realize that identity and mission are always intertwined. That you can't separate them. If your identity is in Christ, if you realize that he is your master, you're bound by him, then you are tied to his mission. You can't separate them. And if you separate them, it becomes pretty unattractive. See, here's what happens. Sometimes many of us have experienced this growing up. You attend a church or you meet uh, Christians that elevate mission over identity. They separate them, right? And so they say, I'm going to engage in God's mission because I'm supposed to. And so I'm going to do the things that I'm supposed to do. That's religion, right? But my identity is not really rooted in Christ. My identity is in a whole sort of other things that I, my career, my family, my relationships, the experiences that I want to have, the possessions I want to attain. But I'm going to go after God's mission because I know I'm supposed to. That's religion. And that is really unattractive. It's oppressive. But what happens is many of us in this room have experienced that growing up. I experienced that growing up. And what we do is we elevate the other extreme. So that's an extreme. It's unattractive. It's, t- it's distasteful. It's oppressive. And so we say, that's wrong. So what do we do instead? We elevate identity over mission. So we, we seek to find our identity in our relationship with God, but we separate it from God's mission. So here's what we think. It's only really about my relationship with God. I don't need the church. I don't need a community of faith. I'll engage in different aspects of the church and Christianity when I want to because it's about my faith, my relationship with God, and that's all that matters. It's We've just swung the pendulum, right? We've elevated identity over mission, and that's just as unattractive, and that's just as imbalanced as elevating mission over identity and really just following after religion, And so Paul here in the very beginning is wanting to be very clear. He wants us to understand that God's mission and your identity in Christ are intertwined. That you don't elevate one over the other. That you come to the place to where you say, my identity is in Christ, which means therefore I'm to be engaged in his mission. They work hand in hand. Your relationship with God and what God is doing in the world. We talked about this last week where we are looking at Ephesians 2, talking about identity, and God compares the people of God to a household. He says that you are a household of God, the dwelling place of God, a holy temple. And the imagery that he creates is one of not a platform with separate bricks all over the place, right? That would be elevating identity over mission. And it's not ones where people are just trying to build the house themselves, devoid of any identity or understanding or following after God's will. That's religion. He says that you're a household that's being built, by who? By God, together. You are connected. The mortar, the bricks are all stacked against against each other to create a strong wall. Jesus Christ is your cornerstone, right? He's your identity, and you build the mission of God together. He starts out like that, and why? The reason is, is because God's mission, as we're going to see unfolded, is that people would come to see that he welcomes all people in. He's creating a home. He wants you to understand and to see that those that are far off and those that are near, as he said last week in Ephesians 2, would come to find the peace of Christ. And they find it not by one extreme mission or identity elevated over the other, but by them being intertwined. When they see individuals that have rooted their identity in Christ, but they also see individuals that are linked together on God's mission through the church. And that's what he's going to flesh out here. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, "Assuming that you have heard of, of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly." Paul is saying that his identity, which is rooted in Christ, the grace that he's received Has responsibility that comes with it. That grace actually carries responsibility. You can't just only care about your identity in Christ and not care about his mission. Coming to the place where you've received and you believe in God's grace given to you through Christ carries responsibility. He says that he is to steward. He's to have good stewardship of God's grace. And the word steward means to manage or to care for something that's been entrusted to you. So if you're a financial advisor, you are to steward other people's resources well. If you're a medical professional, you're to steward other people's health well. If you're a teacher, you're to steward the education of your students well. If you're a government official, you're to steward your power and the, the beliefs and hopes of the people well. And the same thing here, he says that take those sub-identities out of it. If your identity Your supreme identity is that you are rooted in Christ, that you've received God's grace. You're to steward that. You're to care for and manage that that which has been entrusted to you. Because it's been given. God has given you grace. It's undeserved favor. And you're to steward it. So what does that mean? What if your identity is in Christ? What does that mean? He says that you're to take this mystery that you've come to find and come to believe in, And you're to follow after. You're to share it with others. Look at verse 5. He says this. The mystery which was not made known to the sons of men of other generations as it has now been revealed to you, his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What's the mystery? He's saying you believe, if you're here and you believe in faith in Christ— if you, if you claim to have your identity rooted in Christ, you've received his grace, you know that God has welcomed you and that he loves you, that he's forgiven you, that's your identity, then you have come to find a mystery that many people don't know and don't believe, and many people previous to you didn't understand. So what's the mystery? Verse 6, he tells you, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what does that mean? So the Gentiles and the Jews, right, were separate. The Jewish people believed that they were the people of God, only them. And Gentiles were outcasts. They were outside. They were non-Jewish. They were pagan. They were polytheistic. So you have all these different people that come from all different places in life with all different baggage and different belief systems. And what is the mystery? The mystery that God welcomes all of them in. Those that were far off, as it says in Ephesians 2, the, the Gentiles that thought, I mean, I'm way too far away from God. And those that thought they were really close to God, the Jewish people. God welcomes all of them in. He says that you are welcome into the family of God, regardless of your past, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of the doubts you have, you are welcomed by Christ. Regardless of whether you're male or you're female, regardless of whether or not you are successful or whether or not you are not successful in the eyes of the world, you are welcomed by Christ. Regardless of your political affiliation—that's relevant, right?—you are welcomed by Christ. Regardless of whether or not you think that you deserve God's grace or whether or not you think that God could never love you, you are welcome. See, so here's what grace does. When you come to God, and you—if you come to God and you say, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. So you come to, to encounter God's grace. What does God's grace do? It comes and it tells you, you are welcome, but you don't deserve this. But it's given to you anyway. And so you come to find God's grace, and you come to find humility. If you come to God and you say, I, I'm, I'm too dirty. I've made too many mistakes— I'm too far gone. There's no way God or anyone else could ever love me. What does grace do? What is God's mission? That you would come to say, come to realize, no, Christ says that you're welcome. And that when you come to find God's grace, you come to find that your sin is no greater than anyone else's. And Christ has paid for it on the cross for you. And you find dignity. And you find love. And you find forgiveness. And so Paul is saying that if your identity is rooted in Christ— then you have a mystery. You understand, you have insight into a mystery that no one else, not no one, but many people don't know in your world, in your condo, in your work, your friends, your family, they don't understand. And you have a job to steward it well. You're to manage and care for that mystery that you've come to believe and to trust in, that Christ welcomes all people, regardless of what you've done or where you've been, That forgiveness and mercy and peace and hope, none of those things are restricted because of your baggage or because of who you are. That you're welcome. That is the mystery of the gospel, that every single person is welcome. But not only that, but that everyone's equal. Notice what he says there. He says that Gentiles receive the same grace That all people, regardless of whether or not you think you're pretty good or whether or not you think you are way too dirty for God or anywhere in between, you receive the same benefits, the same blessing, the same grace, the same forgiveness, and you're called to be together a part of the same body. That's the mystery of the gospel, is that God welcomes all people and distinguishes his grace and his blessings and his mercy and his forgiveness and his hope on all people regardless of what they've done. That's the mystery And it's a beautiful mystery. And so the question is, why does this matter? Why is Paul saying this? Why is he starting out with this? Why is it important to understand that everyone is welcome? And why is it important to realize that we're all part of the same body? We've all been given the same grace, the same blessings, the same mercy, the same hope. The reason is, is because it should inform your identity and your mission. It's what he's tying together here. When you come to really understand the mystery that God has rooted in your heart by coming to find and believe and trust in Jesus Christ and his grace, it informs your mission because you realize, wait, God welcomes all people. And he gives grace equally to people when they come to him. And so what does it look like then for me to steward that grace that's been given to me? What does it look like for me to steward the reality that God gives grace to all people? That he is open and welcome, his arms are open and wide for all people to come and find him. Regardless of what they've done or what they look like or who they are or where they're from, it doesn't matter, he welcomes them. Because this informs the mission of Christ, and this is the mission of Christ. Very simple. You're wondering what the mission of God is? It's that people would come to believe in that. It's that people would come to find Christ— and believe and trust in the fact that they are welcome, that they are—that it is free grace given. It's a gift, as he's going to say in a moment. That's the mission of God, that people would come to believe that Christ has welcomed them, and that Christ loves them, and that Christ is giving them forgiveness and grace and hope and changing their new identity. Our call to worship said that he will—that through God's grace in Christ, you are made a new creation. That's the mission of God. And that's what Paul fleshes out here. Look at verse 7. He says, Of this gospel, this reality, gospel means good news. It's the reality of God's grace. It's belief and trust in what Christ did for you, that it's applied and open to you. He says, I was made a minister according to the gift, there it is, gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. He's spelling it out very clearly. He's saying, Christ has welcomed me in. He has given me his grace. Yes, I, Paul, was a murderer. I was killing Christians, and yet I was not too dirty for God. I was given a gift of grace. To me, verse 8, though I am the very least of all the saints. See, he feels as if he was undeserving, yet, he says, grace was given to me. Even though I sense that I'm the worst, grace was still given to me. And so, what's his mission? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for who? For just his friends, for the people he likes, for the people that are pretty good? No. To bring to light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? See, Paul has come to encounter— that Christ distinguishes and gives grace out to all people. Regardless of who they are or what they've done, when they come to him, they find a savior that has arms open, that gives grace equally, that is not elevating one person over the other because they're a little bit better. No, he gives grace to all people. The God who created all things cares about the individual. And so his mission is what? It's to share that with other people. He has come to believe in a mystery. His identity is now rooted in the reality that God has given him grace, even though he feels like he doesn't deserve it. He has come to believe and trust in the grace that God has given him in Christ. And his mission is to share with other people that mystery, he says. The unsearchable riches of Christ. How vast God's love and his grace is. And that's your mission too. See, you're going to think this. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, Carter, I get it. Paul's mission, he was an apostle. I mean, he was a pastor. That was his job. His job was to go around and share with people the gospel, the good news that God loves them, and God cares for them, and he's given grace, and everyone's welcome. All the things you've said, I get it, but what about me? I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. Maybe I'm fairly new to Christianity. I get nervous to talk about my faith. I don't like to pray out loud, and you're expecting me to do that. So how do I engage in God's mission? Because right now, when you said in the very beginning, when you said that it feels too daunting, and it feels like I don't really have a place to engage and really make a difference, I'm feeling that right now. So what does it look like for me to engage? And the answer is, in the church. And that's what Paul says. God's mission has always and will always go forward through the church. It's how God's mission is carried forward. Look at verse 10. That's what he says. So that how? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to all people. He says, made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What he's, he's creating this mindset and this idea that through the church, God's wisdom, God's grace, his love, his gospel might be made known to all people on every social level and every spiritual level. Regardless of whether or not they think they're close to God or far away from God, that through the church, God's mission is advanced but the question is why? Why through the church? And you may be thinking, okay, well, does that mean that God does not advance his mission through me individually? No, of course not. He does. If your identity is rooted in Christ, as I said, God's mission is intertwined with that, which means your purpose in life should look different because you've been changed by Christ, because you've encountered the mystery of his grace. And so that means that you should look at Your work differently, for instance. You should realize that your job is not simply about making money and about achieving the mission of a position that you want, but it's bigger than that. It's the fact that God has put you there with people around you to share that mystery with, to let them know that what you believe and that you attend church and take small steps. You don't have to be trained, you don't have to be theologically, you know have this deep understanding of every different aspect of the Bible. You don't have to have any of that. You just have to be honest and be real. And it should change the way that you live in your work. It should change the way that you live in your condo, in your neighborhood. It should change the way that you look at your friends, not simply as people that help keep you from loneliness or that give you personal pleasure, but as people you truly love. And if you truly love them, then you'd share with them the mystery of God's grace that he welcomes them should make you treat your Uber driver different, and the barista that you see every single day at Passion. See, God's mission is advanced through you individually, but that's never devoid of the church. It never has been, and it never will be. And it wasn't devoid of the church in Paul's case either. So again, why through the church? He says something really important here. He says that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God is revealed to people to make known the mystery of God. And the word manifold means many features or forms. The imagery in classical Greek is one of a cloth or flowers that have many colors on them. And so the idea is that he wants you to imagine a beautiful, intricate pattern. So the beautiful, intricate, many-featured form wisdom of God is made known— through the church. When I uh, was growing up, I loved to draw. I used to sketch. That's how I got through classes. So I had my, I had my notebook. That was my sketch notebook, and you're going to think this is totally weird, but I would sketch zoos. Yes, zoos, because I wanted to own a zoo my whole life, and so in class, I would sketch exhibits, you know, the giraffe exhibit, the otter exhibit, the hippo exhibit, all these different exhibits. And I knew that if there was a zookeeper or a zoo owner that ever wanted a zoo, I could just hand him my notebook and he's good to go. He doesn't need an architect, he's got me. I'd give him the book, we would be good to go. So I would sketch zoos and I loved art class. Art class was one of my favorite classes because I loved learning different techniques of how to paint. How you can layer different colors and different techniques on each other to create ultimately something beautiful. But over time, eventually, you know, my passion for sketching and painting subsided as other passions uh, increased. But when I got married, um, I began to kind of come to the place again where I really appreciated and desired to understand art. And Jessica lived in Rome for a period of time, and so she took art history. And, uh, you know, that city is a city of art. You can't walk anywhere without seeing art. It's unbelievable. And so she had this working knowledge of art, but I didn't. And so I had to learn it. I had to process it. And so when we travel, we try to visit galleries. I'm one of those guys that likes to read about the paintings, you know, and I'll listen to a podcast on the painting. I'll download it before. Yeah, I'm one of those people. But one of the more uh, memorable moments in my life was we went to Arles, France, in southern France. And in Arles, France is a famous town because Van Gogh lived there for a period of time. And many of his famous paintings were painted there, And one of the paintings that uh, he painted is the Café Terrace at Night. And see if you've seen it before. Some of you guys seen that before? Yes? Okay, awesome. So this is a famous painting by Van Gogh. And so we got to go to this courtyard here. We got to drink some wine and, and have a good dinner and sit there and imagine Van Gogh painting this. It was incredible. When you look at this painting, right, you may think, that's a good painting. It's Okay. Or you may think, I don't really know much about art, but I know Van Gogh's a big deal, so that's amazing, right? I mean, you may not know why, but it's Van Gogh, so it's amazing automatically, right? So I want to ask you a question Why is this painting beautiful? I'm actually asking. So if, it's, if no one talks, it'll be awkward. Balance, good. What else? You don't have to know much about art. Nostalgic? It's awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of different elements, right, that kind of bring you into this painting. But it's easy, if you don't know much about art, to just move past it. Art is meant to be appreciated. It's meant to be investigated. You're supposed to contemplate and really understand what the intentions of the artist are. But you can walk through a gallery, right, of great art, and you can just say, oh, there's a Van Gogh piece. Nice, scanned it, saw it, done, cool. If anyone asks me if I've seen Starry Night, seen it. There we go, keep going, right? You can do that, but it's not the intention. The intention of art is to really understand it, to think about it, to investigate it. So uh, this piece of art uh, by Van Gogh, is. there's many different theories about it, but the main theory that gets wide support is that Van Gogh here is recreating The Last Supper. You can see now maybe what you didn't see before. You see the Christ figure, right, in white standing there. There's 12 people sitting around him. And it's hard to see on here, but hidden all over the painting, there are crosses all over the painting. One is actually right behind the Christ figure in the window. It's hard to see with this uh, projector. But this is what many people believe he's recreating with this painting. It's not just simply a painting of uh, a terrace at night in a cafe. It's much deeper. He uh, loved Rembrandt and he was said that he desired to revive Rembrandt's uh, hidden Christian symbolism in art. He was raised Van Gogh. His father was a Protestant minister, and he wrote after uh, he painted this to his brother, and he said, I think the world is in tremendous need of religion, and this is why I painted Cafe Terrace at night. See, you may be looking at this now and see it as much more beautiful than you did originally because you know the intention. Maybe right now you're scanning for crosses all over. Like, okay, well, I'm trying to find every little cross that he's hidden, right? But see, that is the intention of artists. They are creating something by many different features and forms, colorful, beautiful, intricate patterns that are coming together to convey one image, to convey one identity what Van Gogh's doing here. And when you really understand an art piece, when you really look at it and contemplate it and investigate it, its beauty is revealed. You can walk by it really quickly and it doesn't make much of a difference, but if you really take a moment to see all the different layers and patterns and the intention, it becomes really beautiful. And it's the same in the church. This is why God's mission is advanced through the church. Because we're a painting, right? We are many different Features and forms and colors. We are very diverse, but the intention is that we would come together to create one uniform picture, one uniform identity. And it's very easy, right, to encounter brushstrokes, right, where in your faith, you, you may have just pick up a Bible and you can pick up a Bible and you can read something and you can say, oh, that's nice. That's good. I may implement some of that to my life. You could listen to a sermon, and you could say, oh, that's, an, you know, inspiring. There's some things I can take from Now, you may hear worship music, and you say, that really, you know, emotionally, that really picked me up. It's positive. You can encounter a friend, right, that's a Christian. Say, you know what? Not all Christians are weird. Some of them are normal. But these are all brushstrokes, right? But that's not the intention. That's not God's mission. God's mission is that you would, he would use all the different brushstrokes To come together in the church to reveal what? The manifold wisdom of God's grace. The many featured and formed beauty, complexity, diversity of God's grace. Because only in the church are you going to see what? The way that God is working in different people's lives. The different talents that he's given different people. The different insight that he's given different people. The encouragement that you may need when you're weak from someone else a community that is coming together that is very diverse, but is sacrificing and intentionally coming together to befriend and to love and to care for people that are different. And you experience what in there, in the church? You experience the manifold wisdom of God's grace. If you separate mission identity, and if it's just about you and your faith, you're never going to experience that. And other people won't either unless they experience a church that I've, Many different people from many different places in life with many different struggles and ideas and doubts, but rooted in an identity in Christ and purposefully saying that we're going to come together with people that are different from us and be on mission together. Because God's intention is that we're to be like a painting, not just individual brushstrokes, that we're actually to come together as many brushstrokes layered on top of each other to reveal something beautiful. And that when people investigate that, it becomes very apparent of the beauty and the complexity of God's grace. That God truly does welcome all people in. All people from all places in life. And that's seen in advance through the church. And so you may ask yourself, what's God's mission? Well, God's mission is that all people would come together to see and to trust, and to believe that he welcomes them in. Regardless of their baggage, regardless of their mistakes, regardless of how they view themselves, whether or not they think they're worthy, God welcomes you in. And God's mission, his grace, is advanced, how? Through the church, through many different brushstrokes coming together to form one identity. Because there you can really truly see the beauty, the complexity of God's grace in the church. Let's pray.